people ask questions about Carlos Vela in big games. Who asked those questions? Well, I think it's a fair question. I, this season, get lost. Get lost. Okay, uh, <laughs> thank you, Bob. It's That's So MLS. With me, your host, Nick Thornton. With me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Okay, that's got to be the most gimmicky thing I've ever done. <laughs> no, I love it. I uh, love it. Wouldn't change it for uh, a moment. <laughs> Whoo! What? Oh my God! What a what a week it it's what a week it's been. It has been exhausting. Uh, <laughs> this is a North American soccer podcast uh, available on Apple Podcasts and wherever you find fine podcasts. But we are deep in MLS playoffs, and it has just been a whole time. Um. Yeah, it's been quite. Uh, you know, I today I was like counting up the amount of games that I saw at least some part of. And it was like twelve, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's a lot." I just i i I remember you talking once on a weekend that you were homesick, and you were just like, "I have gorged myself with so much soccer," and I started to feel that at about game uh, <laughs> uh, nine or ten, I was like, "Wow, actually, this is pretty much where that is, isn't it?" Uh huh. Yeah, can relate. But that's but but it's a good problem to have. This. It's a great problem to have. Um, the games have been fantastic. Um, we talked a little bit um, on Twitter about sort of the the there's slightly different moods in the first and second rounds. Mm-hmm. But I would say that so far the experiment of having um, a single elimination uh, first round has been a huge success. I agree. Um, I think it's or, been... or I mean full tournament. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's been much easier to keep track of things. Um, higher stakes, more drama. I like it. Didn't you, necessarily help uh, the ratings, but <laughs> we'll get there. I was I was putting together uh, I was putting together the stats um, in in MLS to um, well we we'll, we'll get there later we'll get there later. Um, do you want to do this in in basically chronological order for MLS and then we'll talk about the. NWSL first mm-hmm. round, which also took place after that. Yeah, I think we should we should track back. I mean, obviously, at the point where people are listening to this, El Trafico was the the last game played, and we got to get there. But I think narratively, it makes sense. We got to go start at the beginning of this all and um, focus on some of these games a little bit more in depth. And the 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 first game of the weekend was uh, Atlanta versus New England. Um, mm-hmm. This one uh, was very, in contrast to some of the games that would follow it, was pretty buttoned down. Yeah, there wasn't much in this one, and I can't say I'm too terribly surprised given uh, Bruce Arena's strength in in tactically arranging teams. Um, This was a pretty gritty midfield one. There wasn't much space on the pitch, and uh, I think also... Frank DeBoer had his side ready to to know that they they were probably going to win this game, but they needed to do it clinically. They needed to make sure that they were defensively solid and they would probably get a couple of chances. And they did. They managed to score one. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that absolutely um, Atlanta was playing. Uh, I, the comment that I kept seeing was that they basically abandoned, they have basically at this time of the year, abandoned whatever Frank DeBoer was trying to get them to do earlier in the season and going back to the old way that Atlanta mm-hmm. always played. 
uh, which is working yeah. for them, it seems. Um, I think that this was um, hard fought from New England, but at the end of the day, I'm still very pleased with them for how far they've gotten. In, and ultimately, they put their uh, um, they put a, a good face out of this game. I would say. Totally. And given what we said last week, um, we both said that if New England, or maybe you asked me it as a question, but like if New England um, didn't win, would it be considered not a success? And we, I think my answer was like, no. And I, <laughs> I stand by that. Like, I still think the appointment of Bruce Arena, the, the season, the turnaround for New England can only be looked at as a success. They held their own. They didn't get blown out with a by Atlanta, and this was a game where it really did look like, um, a you know a better side against a very good side. That uh, there wasn't there the the goal that Atlanta got wasn't um a major mis- mistake. It was just Franco Escobar was the the man who was able to get through. Absolutely, this was so I kind of caught um I caught the like the second half of this game and was, was settling into my, uh, my four game day <laughs> on the Saturday as it was starting to happen. Uh, the next game on the schedule had, uh, I, I moved that morning. So I think that what is like the strangest, I had a, uh, I had like a post move, like nap in the first half of Seattle versus Dallas. I was asleep for 30 minutes of this game. And it's still one of the greatest games <laughs> I've seen all season because it's like I I got back I was uh, I saw the end of Atlanta I watched Seattle go up two nothing mm-hmm. and then like I started napping and I was vaguely aware ah Dallas has scored and then I sort of woke up again on the sixty third minute when I saw Dallas scored again. <laughs> Is it too soon to just call this the greatest fucking MLS game ever played? It was just balls out so crazy. This is something that um, a lot of people later on this week when we would talk about the the El Trafico, um, there's a lot of controversy about, you know, they said this is this is the biggest MLS game like 8,000 times. Um, The... It's. I think that you know, especially with a league that has a, uh, some of this history, either you could could try to go back and look for it, or remember in your in my memory, the the game I would compare this to is the TFC Montreal game from twenty sixteen. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's pretty fair. Um, and, 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 and I'm not it, saying it, that that's my whole comparison. This isn't the greatest game, but there's about twenty to thirty minutes of gameplay in stoppage time that just like all the wheels come off all the carts and <laughs> yeah like you, that's, where do that's we the even, thing about this game where do we even begin with this game okay in so terms of I start, analyzing it <laughs> i started uh, i start both in my consciousness and <laughs> and in my uh and uh in my tweets which i'm relying on for my for my notes basically on the 74th minute with with Jordan Morris scores his second goal of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Seattle had uh, Dallas had already displayed great fight by coming back from two goals, um, but Morris uh, Morris was able to get his marker to try and reestablish 
Seattle's role in the game. And I kind of feel um, you you then uh, that that happens on the seventy fourth minute. Yeah. Um, he uh, and then I think like not eight minutes later, Brian Acosta scores to even it up for uh, for Dallas, and it just feels from that point just like um out of control pressure wildness things are going the 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 play is moving back and forth oh, uh, mm, um mm-hmm. you have i think if you look in the possession chart i'm looking so it's like 5 minute intervals right so so 45 to 50 50 55 60 65 70 75 85 so following that like the 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 85th the 80th to 85th minute um, chunk of this game has 50% even possession. Yeah. <laughs> because the teams are just going so furiously back and forth. Yeah, th- this one was totally bonkers. I mean, to back up just slightly, I mean, going into this game, I think we both called Seattle to win this one pretty easily just because Dallas, although they've been good, although th- we know that they can score goals, just... Yes really hasn't looked like a, a solid team all year, um, and certainly not for any real stretch of games. But they really started to make Seattle look like them <laughs> a bit. Because Rui, Rui Diaz opens things, Jordan Morris scores a second goal, it's 2 nothing, and you think, all right, this game's in Seattle, like, this has got to be, uh, you know, maybe a 3-1 affair, maybe Dallas gets something back. Um, not too long after that, Reggie Cannon scores. And then the second half, it's kind of a bit of a midfield battle. Things start to get a little testy. And then Matt Hedges just rises out of the ground and scores an amazing header. And all of a sudden, we have a completely level game. And what's interesting is it really felt like both teams then started playing basically as if it was zero zero. I I would definitely agree with that. And because from that point, if you look at the at the intervals previously, it's like Dallas has like 79 percent possession, sixty one percent possession, sixty eight percent possession, and then all of a sudden this happens, mm-hmm. and the the pendulum swings right back again. Yeah. The whole game state, the whole game, the whole game state changes, just like you said, to zero zero. Where now, all of a sudden, teams are no longer sort of trying to hold into their. If they had like a, a game plan of, of let's let's try and score two and hold on, or like let's try and come back, it's like now each team are just swinging haymakers. Yeah, just total chaos. Like the. It, the game just becomes so, so open. And outside of that, too, all of a sudden, like, just discipline-wise, uh, I really thought that uh, Jesse Gonzalez was going to get thrown out at some point because he comes charging out of his goal uh, to, to complain to a ref and get in a player's face. Like, he's sprinting 40 yards to complain about some tackle or something and just thinking, like, this he's already on a yellow. Like... <laughs> So, so this is an extra time, and and what mm. I think the thing first 
it won't say in the it won't say in the list, but um, there was I think during normal time a pretty serious. Um, I think it's a handball shout for it's either handball or offside for Dallas, where where Dallas have a pretty good shout to have something. To, one of the um, something to I'm trying to remember what it was, but it's something they really feel. Um, yeah, I, I, something that feels like they could have been disallowed. I think it, yeah, I think they had two. Two goals where they could have been, uh, they could have got, they could have been had the goals disallowed. I think from Seattle, mm-hmm. the first one, eh, not so much. The second one, I can, I can feel it a little, I can understand it a little bit better. Uh, oh no, no, what am I thinking? Sorry, uh, penalties. Seattle have or Dallas have a pretty good penalty shout in, in regular time, mm. um, and they have a pretty good penalty shout in. Uh, extra time as well. I think it's after Jordan Morris's goal, and that's that's really a defining sort of right, right, right. Key point that happens before uh, Gonzalez uh, does his does his big run is that on the uh, 113th minute, Jordan Morris, who um, is I believe scoring a hat trick goal um, in extra time, just. A fantastic. I, I, I'm trying to remember what the the form of the goal was, but I believe it was a header. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And he just, just yeah. Um, all he three had of so it, much individual well. Uh, all so three of his goals will. were just completely different. Just complete sheer force of will goals. <laughs> yes. Um, that's a, that's a it, great point. The look on his face. It's like he was celebrating, but the look on his face when he scored that was was like you said, like a, a look of, of of sheer will. Yeah, and I think that that's um, you know we'll get to the other Seattle narrative when we talk about the other game, but th- I mean this is why we love this kid. He's such an intelligent player. He's obviously skilled and athletic, but just the heart and the ability to make things happen. Um, it just really does feel like he's got Sounders running through his veins. And keep in mind, too, like, I have to hate the Sounders. I do hate the Sounders. <laughs> but I love Jordan Morris. And... I have a weird I have a weird feeling. We can talk about it more as the thing go on. Sorry, sure. continue. He just, he just exudes the team. Like, he, to me, he's just the the perfect epitome of everything uh, good about the Sounders. And I'm being very generous here and I'm trying to put myself in a, a Sounders mindset, but I don't, I know there's a lot of respect for him around the league um, for what a good player he is and for his work ethic. And here it's just, again, the, the sheer force of will to make something happen for his team. I really feel like he, he drags Seattle across the finish line in this game. The team at points played well, but my goodness, they also just totally fell apart <laughs> at other points. I, I've I've honestly been feeling, and this is perhaps just me, but the um, perhaps it's just me, but it's like the uh, as my the amount of my fandom that goes into rivalry mm-hmm. has really chilled out. Like I really I've chilled out in that regard. Yeah, I don't I don't invest as much energy in that side of it anymore. And I honestly kind of feel that um, as much as I really badly want Vancouver to um, to beat Portland and Seattle and, and Toronto and Montreal when they're facing each other, and I'm always ready for with you know the the smart comments and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a family rivalry that then when you're outside when you're not playing one of those teams, 
It's like, which teams do I know the best? Yeah. Which, which, yeah. which, which teams do I have, which teams do I have the most feeling? Be it Emily or not, which, which teams do I have the most feeling for? Which fans do I have the, the, the strongest relationship with, Emily or not? Well, and, and, and I, I would say it's, it's the teams in both the Cascadia and the Canadian rivalries. Totally. Yeah. And I, I feel fairly comfortable, uh, disclosing this to our listeners is like, I'll be honest, if Seattle's playing another even Western opponent, I'm kind of still just cheering for the Cascadian team. Like, mm. <laughs> um, not that, like, I want them to win everything and <laughs> gather a ton of points. And certainly, depending on where they're at in the table, I'll be rooting against them. But yeah, because they're neighbors and because we invest a lot of time and energy into both Seattle and Portland, we know a lot more about those teams than we might say about some others. So uh, I agree. I've, I've kind of cooled off with it too, that like, don't get me wrong. I'm all for screaming and yelling and uh, calling out the flopping around. Cause that sure happens still, but <laughs> you got to appreciate the teams and also the fan bases as well. They've got amazing supporter groups um, and there's a lot of collaboration between the supporter groups um, in Cascadia to make things happen. And it's also a unique part of MLS that like feels special and sort of like the league can't really touch it. Like it's, it's really about the supporters. And I think all three teams really appreciate and respect that. Absolutely. So if you if you look at sort of the timing here when it comes to this Jesse Gonzalez, this is a, this is a point I want to make about the refereeing of this game. Yeah, is that the first? It's in the 86th minute, and it's a handball that it happens if I recall on the edge of the area. Um, and and Dallas had this opportunity. So if you look at the if you look at the 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 timeline sheet, it's like 86 handball by Jordan Morris, 87 handball by Nico Ladero, 88 yellow card to Jesse Gonzalez. That's the first. That's that's when he got the first yellow card. I would assume for. Mm-hmm. That's when he got the first yellow card. Um, and you now, I'm trying to remember. I don't think it is New Who that gets the. I think the New Who thing happens. Who comes in on as a, as a sub on the the 97th minute? He commits this foul. I want to say in the second half of extra time, and, and that's when uh, Gonzalez, as you say, just charges to the center of the field, and it really looks like the two of them just are. Um, at least one of them has the hands at the throat. Yeah. And and I thought it was both. I've heard now people say that it was only one and not the other. I don't know. I don't know who, but I it was look Sa- at that. It was Sagafi who was the referee, right? This match? Yeah, Nima Sagafi was the ref. And you easily could have thought that uh, one or both players could have been sent off from that interaction alone. And certainly you could send off Gonzalez because he's on a, a second yellow. The one issue is he's the goalkeeper and Dallas have used all three of their substitutions. So Sagafi talks to them in a situation where absolutely automatic cards have occurred mm-hmm. and gives nothing. And then and okay. later on, yes. How do you feel about that? Because this is a it, big moment and we've kind of like... The narrative has moved on because more stuff has happened, but I'm so curious to know what you think about that. Well, it's I it, it goes in. I can't remember what the second penalty shot was mm-hmm. for for Dallas, but it goes in for me. 
with this idea that he just sort of um in a in a in a fit of cosmic chill decided not to call anything no penalties no red cards he's not going to take a a, a a move that will dramatically change the state of the game because it's it's you know so weird and wonderful he's gonna he's gonna let this one play out um if you're a dallas if you're a dallas fan you would have wanted the penalty on the 86 minute. You would have wanted that call. Mm-hmm. But then again, you would have had your goalkeeper sent off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, and then you would have had to put a defender in the goal with, in a, in a, uh, in a 50 50 position. Totally. And this is presumably, presumably if you get, if you get there, who can, who could say, who could say who was benefited or not benefited the most? Truly. And I mean, I know that there's always the narrative of like, well, if it's a red card in a regular season game, it should be a red card in the playoffs, etc. But it's sort of that meta question of like, well, when you talk about consistency, part of it is also consistency within a game. And I actually yeah. really like this game management in the playoffs where he's like, you guys want to go at it? Go at it. Play some soccer, but unless I see something that's totally egregious and endangering somebody... This is going to be a physical game. These are two big physical teams. And I thought that this was smart managing of the game because when you've got two big, fast, aggressive, athletic teams like this going at each other, there's going to be fouls. There's going to be uh, points of contention. And I kind of like the approach of just like, look, I'm not taking the cards out unless I absolutely have to. I want like put the ball in the back of the net if you want to win this game. And from what I've seen so far, it seems like both sets of fans are relatively okay with that in that it allowed both teams to just play an open style of soccer. It also meant that this game was completely insane. I think that the, the uh, something that also affects it in addition to game consistency is time in the game. Yeah. Coming with five minutes in the second half of extra time. The danger, I think, in doing something like this is that if the players don't think they're going to get called for anything, that they'll get out of out of they'll get out of control. That by not calling anything, you're going to let things get out of hand. And I, to be honest, the game there was nine more minutes of this game, and I felt a little bit of a nice edge in in the stoppage time section mm-hmm. of like, is this game going to get out of control? Mm-hmm. There really wasn't enough time left for it to get out of control, but. But maybe that uh, the decision not to hand out those cards isn't something that you could have done in, say, the fiftieth minute or you know the the ninety second minute of extra time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a point watching this game where I'm like, truly anything can happen now. Like I'm waiting for like a the bleachers to like rise out of the stadium and take off and like a flying cow to come in and like just anything, you know, like Thor will appear and Iron Man. Like it just was completely insane. Um, such, yeah, cause such think about good it. fun. You've got a, you've got a, uh, uh, you've got an equalizer to make it three, three. You've got a, a hat trick, extra time, the uh, extra time goal. There's so much the equalizer on the 88th minute or no, wait, no, what am I thinking? Equalizer on the 82nd minute. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there's there's so much um, going on here and so many like switching back and forth. I think ultimately, I don't want to in a game that happened to have a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I'm, I want to be defensive of soccer, this idea that more goals necessarily equals better game, right? I think mm-hmm. that the, so I don't want to just say, say, defend, oh, it's okay to not have that many goals and then have a seven goal game and be like, see, it's great. What was great. <laughs> I love that what both you and I are getting so riled up just talking about this game again. <laughs> ah! Oh, I'm in it. At first, I, I was trying to remember. I was like, "Oh my god, this was like ten games ago." But now, now it's like now it's re-rolling out for my eyes. I got flashbacks. Um, this game needed seatbelts. It needed seatbelts, absolutely. Um, the it's it's like what made this game was good was not goals because, as mentioned, I slept through two of them. It was. <laughs> It was the it was the period that happened once once um once Dallas was able to reverse the deficit position that it had been in and the game was truly open. Yeah. That's what made the game fun mm-hmm. and interesting to watch. That's what you want out of soccer in, in as as fun or you know, as as tactical as defensive soccer can be, that's what you kinda wanna see is 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 an open game where both teams are, are competitive and really feel like they're doing their best to win. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it was nice to see as well, I think both sets of fans appreciated that there's a lot of players that play on the um, U.S. men's national team together. And it was a heated game, but there was a lot of um, respect shown between the players at the end of it. And that's what you want to see after just an insane affair like that to kind of be like, we both just went through that. Like someone had to win and someone had to lose, but wow. Those teams uh, played really hard. And I would say that, that, that one of the, the, the surprising parts of this weekend of playoff clashes in both MLS and WSL is that you see um, so many extra time games, um, but none of them uh, in total, I think four between the two leagues. Um, and none of them went to penalties. Yeah. And that, and that brings us to Toronto versus DC United. <laughs> Another completely insane game. And yet in a different way than Very the one different. that preceded it. Uh, because truly for 90 minutes, not much happened. Um, and this game it's funny because I think when we called this game, we were like, ooh, it's going to be tight. We think Toronto's going to win. I think that was our prediction. Um, and we were mostly right, except that Toronto really w- wanted to put the ex- exclamation point on this one. So so Toronto scores in the 32nd minute through Marky Delgado. It's a great goal. Yeah. Um, and, and try at home to hold DC. And I think they do a pretty good job of it. Um, ultimately, uh, Toronto led DC 28-13 in shots and had 55% of possession. They, they did a good job of, um, ensuring that, uh, the connection between players like Wade Rudy and, and Paula Ariola didn't, um, was frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, they started, uh, Ola Kamara and Luciano Acosta on the bench. Mm-hmm. And then sort of brought them in. Um, when did Kamara... Did Kamara ever make it in? Kamara didn't make it in. Uh, no, Kamara came in on the 44th minute for Felipe because Felipe had a little bit of an injury. Um, hope he's doing okay. Uh, what is he, the only Vancouver, 2018 Vancouver White Cap to make it to the playoffs? I think so. 
Yeah. <laughs> he wins. Um, and Acosta comes in on the 78th minute. Um, five minutes previous, Nick DeLeon comes into the game. He had played for DC the, the season previous. And I made the joke, I made the Thanos joke of, you couldn't be content with your failure. And where did that bring you? Back to me. Thanos and Wayne Rooney, two uh, bald heroes. <laughs> bald heroes. Wow. <laughs> My goodness. I can't um, keep up with the depth of your references sometimes, but I, I, <laughs> he's good. He's good. So, 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 so DeLeon comes back in. And just before Toronto is trying to see this game out, in, on the 93rd minute, it's Lucas Rodriguez who um, cracks a great goal. I think I have uh, – he pulls free on the far post, mm-hmm. which was exactly like what happened with the Dallas tying goal. Yeah. Um, to tie the game. Our old familiar friend, the far post. <laughs> forever unmarked and alone. To tie the game with, with, with moments remaining, and then now all of a sudden we're going to extra time. And – because I am a fucking stinker, I can't help myself. <laughs> uh, but say like penalties, penalties, penalties. Remember how Toronto are bad at penalties? Penalties. Yeah, I know. Uh, um, and in in honestly, at that time, because TFC had been in the holding position and let it go, you kind of thought they've got a they they can't hold on to this one. They they must be. Because it wasn't, but like even before that, it's not like they had a. Um, the mood was weird because DC didn't have forceful pressure, but they did have pressure. They had more of the ball, but it was like a sort of nervous feeling. Yeah, like it, like they were able to have that time without having to really work very hard for it, and. And they've looked like that so much of this season too, right? Like it, it really wasn't that surprising to see them to look <laughs> look that way. And then in extra time, just three minutes in extra time, Richie Larea, who comes in on the 81st minute, who um, did a masterful job in the game against the Canadian game against the U.S. men's national team, mm-hmm. holding down uh, some of their stars. Larea scores on the ninety third or on the ninety third minute, uh, best week of his life, I think. You you have to truly, think. yeah. Uh, what a revelation he's been, eh? Just like you know, and I've sometimes pointed to him and thought, oh, I don't like your. Uh, I'm 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 not the biggest. I haven't always been the biggest Larea fan, but he had such a great week this week. And then just the march continues. Larea on the ninety third minute. Jonathan Osorio on the 95th minute. Yeah. Jonathan Osorio on the 103rd minute. TFC have scored three times already in extra time. And then Nick DeLeon, uh, having made his Avengers Endgame appearance, uh, finishes it off with a goal in first half stoppage time. Um, TFC scored four times in 50 minutes against DC. Yeah. Who could, who could predict this? Nobody, truly. And I'm really glad that uh, you mentioned Nick DeLeon earlier as well, because I, like, I think he's been such an overlooked player this year. Like, how important has he been for Toronto and keeping yeah. their hopes alive? And this is the game that I'm really starting to look at it. I'm like, 
shit, I mean, if they can do this, they, like, they're starting to look more and more like a team that can scrap out a, a final product against somebody. Like, stranger things have happened. All season in 2017, it was kind of like the joke of, that we, we had the joke of, TSC in Seattle? Are we going to get TSC in Seattle again? Is it going to be TSC in Seattle again? <laughs> it felt like that week in, week out sometimes. Um, and it wasn't only until this, this, this pair of, uh, uh, the, these two rounds that I was like, I'm almost smelling a trilogy. We could talk a little bit more about that later, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, but you just have to, in front of their home fans, really marvel at how we talked about, we talk, when TFC are good, we talk about determination. That's what the 2017 season was about, that they were um, demoralized so badly and they just had this this fight in them that there's no way that they weren't, they had, they knew how good they were and there's no way that they weren't going to collect from that. Mm-hmm. And they just um, ground teams into the to the ground week in, week out. They have not, they have at times, in, in, in the year, in the two seasons since then, it's been like, Every time TFC are good for a game, we say, "Oh, is this the old TFC? Is this the old TFC coming back?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and maybe this is sort of like the the reawakening moment of like, if you don't want to go to penalties and losing penalties again for the second time in a year, you're going to have to do something about this. Mm. Four goals in 15 minutes is not what I what I, what you would ordinarily think, but yeah. And, uh, as we'll get to in a moment, they, uh, continued some pretty great form. But. Absolutely. Um, one that I think. Before we leave this game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is our goodbye to, uh, my great friend and yours, Wayne Rooney. Who just, the, the note that I had at the end of this, that it's, it's, it's wild to think of how demoralizing this was. This was Rooney's last game. I think he did okay, but I think like the the whole season, he hasn't necessarily had a, a lot of individual. He had some shots, he had some efforts, but but I can't say that that he really took control of the game. And as a matter of fact, whether or not he, however he acted, how it happened, um, the way that the team gathers on the t- the sideline mm-hmm. for the beginning of the second half of extra time in Rooney. Just walked and, and without having a big moment, no walk from from the center of the field in the middle of the game. Just if you were blink, if you blink it, you would have missed it. Uh, the team leaves the sideline and Rooney is not with them. He has been he subbed out at halftime. Nick DeLeon retired Wayne Rooney, mm. uh, <laughs> and, and 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 this is the last time we're going to see him in MLS before he leaves for Derby. He flew out the next day. He's gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a little unfortunate for me because we grew to to really like him, and Lord knows we didn't when he arrived either of us as Tottenham and Ooh. Arsenal fans. Um, but I I was really disappointed that in this season I think he lacked focus. Um, you know there was rumors and mutterings of stuff happening off the field, but it really showed on the field that he, he just seemed to, to lack that same um, composure and drive that he came with. And 
to be honest, it kind of felt like as soon as we learned where he was going next, that he wasn't really present with DC. I think that's fair to say. Like, I think that when that news when that news broke, I think that we said that it's on him to to account for himself and to like you know say this is what this run in MLS is going to mean to me through his play. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to say that that happened. I think so. I don't think that's being too harsh. Um, Paul Ariola gets the second yellow to finish out this game. Just like I said, demoralizing. They, they, how much, how much worse, and this is the question that I asked on Twitter, how much worse would this, how much, like, almost better would this have been if DC had lost one nothing in regular time? Yeah. <laughs> if they hadn't scored that goal. Exactly, If they right? hadn't scored that goal, what would have happened? It's true. How would it, how would, how would history be different? Um. All right, let's move. And yet. We gotta move forward. Um, a game that we thought, uh, I think we both called Portland to win this one. Did we? I can't, uh, I can't remember. Maybe. This might have been one of the ones where uh, I differed from whatever you said to be uh, spicy. Mm. Well, <laughs> I don't remember what I called it, but I, watching it, I didn't think that RSL was necessarily going to emerge the victors. But just uh, Portland continued to be Portland as we've seen them struggle all season couldn't get the job done the um the the in the early going i think that you have to look at rsl as being a home team that came out throwing everything that they could at steve clark mm-hmm. just just there were so many like weird um like well that that crazy, clark that, clark at the touchline and having to run back that like, crazy run of play yeah it's around like the 28th minute or something and there's like this ball that comes in and he saves it. And then there's a wild curling effort from Corey Baird, I think, or no, so it was like the 13th minute. Um, and Clark saves both. And you're like, wow. Okay. Like it's going to be that kind of night, but he's working on overtime. He's, he, or he's working on overdrive. He's, uh, uh, he's just sort of like fending off scoring chances, cartoon anvils, knives, <laughs> Um, small children are being thrown at him, and he's just, he's, he's turning everything away, but he can't do it forever, and Demir Krylock, um, directs across into the goal. Um, maybe he was able to get his foot on it, I couldn't decide if I agreed with that or not. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, really, my focus here is just on, um, it was good to see that Espria came to life again. <laughs> Very, yes. very late in the season and did his part. But for a Portland that has shown such excitement, um, it's just not tidy enough. And of course, they've had moments where they can score goals. But ultimately, how can you not be disappointed as a Portland fan with not just this game, but kind of the whole season where there seemed to be promise of better things that just never quite came? Yeah, you're right. Um the it, it's it's a, after Espria um, equalizes, I think that then we move at the very beginning of the the second half. The game, in a sense, like slows down. I feel mm-hmm. like like they that also could be um, you know 
accredited to the fact that it's two degrees Celsius and it's snowing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had, I know somebody that was there <laughs> just sending photos. It was like, what is this? Now it doesn't look fun to play in. No. Um, but, but things really, it, it really seems like they, um, they, they fell off a little bit in the second half when, the, even, even though they had theoretically the momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and Portland had their chances, right? Like, again, the, the potential is there, but just couldn't quite get it done. And you got to think with question marks about Valeri, um, like, what what does this team look like next year? It's true. That's not something that I remember hearing too much. Valeri, for, for all we talked about it in the last week, I don't know that we've gotten a, a clear answer on what's going to happen with him. I haven't heard anything um, new. He started on the bench here. Yeah. Um, which which maybe was a was a fitness thing or a, a just sort of a, a reference to that. But if that's the last game, I mean, um, it it didn't necessarily come off a lot. Uh, not a lot came off from it. It was Jeff. It was Jefferson Sabarino in the eighty seventh minute. That this was another one that almost looked like it was heading to extra time, mm-hmm. um, the third extra time game in a uh, goal uh, game in a day, but um, Sabarino cuts it off. Yeah, disappointing overall from Portland, but uh, I was happy to see RSL go through. I think they deserved this one and just showed uh, a bit of fight. Of course, didn't last all that long, but. They put in put on a good performance, and I like a game too where it feels like both teams are in it. So Sunday rolls around, and I uh, I already caught I caught the NWSL games, but it's like the NWSL games all overlapped with each other. So it was like um, one NWSL game started at four thirty at two thirty Atlantic. The first MLS game started at four, and the second NWSL game started at four thirty. And the first time, the first, uh, the North Carolina Courage Seattle game, um, went into extra time. So there was a period of time in which three goals were, three games were happening simultaneously, which, uh, which boggles my brain almost. <laughs> However, um, Philadelphia and New York Red Bulls also put together a banger on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm like, I'm tired already. <laughs> I'm tired again. We're just on day two. We're on day two of the playoff season. Yep. Uh, um, what a wild game. I mean, this one is like on the 24th minute. Our good old pal Timmy Parker uh, is is able to make it two for the Red Bulls, and you're just thinking, like, okay, yeah, Philadelphia is not going to get the job done because they've been so great at times, but it's just not going to happen for them. And then Bedoya happens and you're like, okay, interesting, <laughs> interesting, interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more on the 30th minute. That's that's six minutes after Parker's second goal. Yeah. And then we deep into uh, stoppage time in the second half. Then t- uh, Tom Barlow gets another one for Red Bulls and you're like, well, this doesn't look good. Right, three one, a three one deficit at the half, um, which was like exactly what you're saying. 
one of my favorite new Twitter accounts is, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact name, but it's like MLS images that preceded unfortunate events. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that mm. had a picture of the New York Red Bulls Twitter account being incredibly smug about being up 3-1 at the half. Yeah. That's, that Twitter account had some uh, had a workout this weekend. <laughs> and this is just, like, when you take a look at the, um, it's basically like a, uh, well, it is a free kick cross that comes into the box. This is just where it all falls apart for the Red Bulls, and we've seen this so many times. I mean, you called them the, the chaos team with their chaos style, but it, just defensively, they're just not marking anybody. <sighs> And it's kind of baffling that, I mean, you're up 3-1, you've made it into the playoffs, this is your chance, and, like, how do you not mark people on this ball? It's not a free kick. He just basically stops and is allowed to take it. Um, <laughs> he's given the freedom to take he's, it. He's given the freedom to take it, and the defenders are just not alive in this, and I mean, I don't want to rag on a, a former Whitecap too much, but Tim Parker's just had an absolute pair of a season. I don't know what's happened, but things are not okay. Jack Elliott gets Philadelphia back in, then Pico scores one, and then Fabian deals the death blow um, deep into the 106th minute. <laughs> oh my. Oh. <sighs> Just the um Papa Picos, uh who came on as a sub, um, has that great goal to equalize. I yeah. think that one is also wonderful to look at, but then the Fabian goal is just so good. Yeah, and I mean I've I still sort of wonder like the idea that you have Il Signo and Fabian starting on the bench in a playoff game is really odd to me. Um, however, I think both played their part and certainly Fabian got the job done, but this, the skills on that guy are just completely insane. Um, and well, it's a really well-deserved goal. I think that that honestly plays a role because, um, it's not just the chaos team thing. And this is something that I said, um, after the, 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 the previous, um, after the previous week. Where they also had a little bit of a, an injury concern in their in their final league game, mm-hmm. um, the the chaos style of of send people send people in, bang the ball around, see what happens, see what you can create, um, appears to have caught up with the Red Bulls <laughs> physically, oh yeah, as well because yeah. you have the the issues that they had. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was that that brought that to mind in the previous week. Um, but the issues that they've had physically, and then you have Josh Sims, who scores the first goal on the, the, the sixth minute, and just, so it's, it must have been just a heartbreaker for him to have to come off mm-hmm. for the 30th. Yeah. He comes off in the same half, and, and although at that point it doesn't seem like the end of the, end of the world, you know, um, but, uh, there's this, thing that happens late in the, the game where Caceres is on the ball or he's running and he just collapses. Like, like in he, those are two like unfortunate injury occasions, but I wouldn't say that they're the only parts at the end of this 
extra time. Um, New York looked spent physically, and not just not just in the terms that they ran too much. It just they look hurt. They looked banged up. Yeah. Yeah, and it, they they really did look just sort of like this beraggled team towards the end, just just wrung out this season. And and ultimately, it it didn't work for them as well as you kind of wish that it could have because using that style or 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 that that level of intensity that I think that they need to be. Uh, good. They just weren't able to to have it on as consistently mm-hmm. in the course. It's it's. Uh, I think it's Royer who had to come off of the Montreal game, um, and it's just like he's the he's the um, the architect of some of that intensity, and they just haven't done it as as consistently. Yeah. Um. They. He did start in that game, but Bradley Ray Phillips also didn't start, and he came in as a substitute in the in the, in the game because he's. Uh, as he, as, uh, uh, people noted, his, his final touch, uh, may have hit, uh, MLS's Pablo Maurer mm-hmm. in the face, which was funny. Um, but, uh, they didn't, for all the, they needed the intensity, um, they didn't get it as often as they needed to, to secure perhaps a, a, a home advantage. Yeah. Um, or or better placement or better seating that would have allowed them to to um, compete here and, and ultimately um, Philadelphia, despite not necessarily playing that well in the first half at home, there was the there was the identification of the chant that you know the crowd were chanting "Wake the fuck up, Union." <laughs> oh, yeah, and 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 they did. To their credit, they did, but it's like, like that's what they had to do. They didn't necessarily come at it hammer and ho- hammer and tongs as the home team, making the most of their advantage. But at the end, you definitely have to say that they, they uh, were roused. Mm-hmm. And another team, I think that tried to make the most of their home advantage was Minnesota, who uh, who welcomed um, the LA Galaxy in the final game of the the week. At eleven o'clock, Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> These games, mm-hmm. um, and especially in the first half of this game, you've got to look at it. I, I have, I love games that have atmosphere, and in, in, in a lot of you know the a lot of MLS stadiums have atmosphere. This was another level. Yeah, just this was was. Um, the the crowd was rocking. You absolutely heard the Allianz feel faithful, like cheering every like like Zlatan would lose the ball and the crowd would cheer. The the a ball would get saved and there would be a huge cheer. The crowd was was lightning uh lightning hot, ready to react to anything. You heard commentate you heard sideline reporters say that the coaches couldn't get their instructions out. In the first half of the game, because it was too loud. That's amazing. Yeah, I like. I mean, I would love to visit every MLS stadium, but uh, this one for me is like a top, 
<laughs> top of the bucket list. I I agree. It's just such a good atmosphere there. Um, and I it's it's disappointing the game turned out the way it did, although perhaps not surprising. Um, and you just have to credit Minnesota's heart in this one. Um, and all season long, yeah. they've been such an improved side. And this was another game that really was a case of the thing that had plagued them all season long, which was scoring goals, uh, yeah. came back to haunt them here. And they had a, cu- a couple of really good looks at goal and some good chances in the first half and just couldn't make it happen for themselves. And then the Galaxy punished them. So overall, I think Minnesota should be really, really proud um, and happy with where they stand but i think they're you know i don't really know what the the salve is here for the goal scoring drought is they just need that that clinical thing and maybe it's a case of you don't want to get rid of many players and you just bring in some more depth and next season you just try to go again but the team plays well together and and for me that's a really great sign the tough part is that they do have so many um, fantastic players, but they definitely, they definitely seemed unsure of when to use a player like um, Darwin Quintero or not. Yeah. Um, and Ozzy Alonso obviously has been huge for them, but but they're going to need as much as they've got great players, they've got good players, mm-hmm. but they need a. a sort of a more dominating striker, I think, to, to hang themselves on. I also don't or hang to 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 hang the, 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 Their hat. the goal scoring the goal scoring painting. Yeah. Uh up on the wall. The I agree. they Agreed. also I wonder if they're losing Vito Minone. Does the does the loan deal end off because he was named goalkeeper of the year. Mm-hmm. Um it is arguable, I think if you look at the He's he's a there's a great argument for him. I'm a I'm a, I liked Bill Hamid's season a lot. Yeah, and I think some of the stats bear out a little bit better for him. Uh, both Manone and Hamid had great goals against averages, um, and Brad Kazan has the um, a similar goals against average, but he had to save like twenty less shots. Get out of here. <laughs> Get lost, Greg. Greg is not out of this yeah. discussion. You had an easy year. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't crack a. You didn't crack a hundred saves this year. <laughs> yeah, loafer. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the show. Manone. Manone has been a, a huge piece for Minnesota. They've really, really yeah. missed a solid uh, goalkeeper. I mean, it's not that they've had bad goalkeepers, just goalkeepers that I think mm-hmm. lacked some confidence at that this stage of career they were in and didn't work out. But Manone was the, a really, really good pickup for them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um. You, it should be it should be mentioned as well that that it was the Galaxy scored the two goals on Legette and Dos Santos, and then there was that moment in the 87th minute, even though the game was kind of already everybody had had, had let it run, um, when Jan Gregoosh gets his big goal, and you think, can they do this one? No, not not quite yet. 
And I, I think I tweeted out during the game as well that one of the things we talked about is like Minnesota has the heart and the ability to be LA Galaxy, but we really did overlook Jonathan DeSantos, who's had an incredibly good year and has been a really important yes. piece for Galaxy. And the goal he scores is just incredible. And you, and you go like, well, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do that, then uh, there's not too much you can do. But I think overall for me... Minnesota had a, a really great season, and they have everything to look forward to. Definitely some problems that need to be solved, but they'll be all right. So th- that was the end of the first round, and I felt that you got a lot of... You got um, maybe not necessarily upsets in the greatest sense of the word, um, but you had a lot of like very entertaining clashes. Yeah. And then <laughs> the weekend happened. This or the or the, the mid mid midweek happened. Sorry, the midweek. And there was a, next round. And there was a Canadian election in the middle of this as well. So it was quite the week. Quite the week here at at, uh, at Bates Central. Um, Bates. The uh, this, I think that there was a lot of anticipation coming into the the first game of the second round. New York City, the 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 number one seed in the Eastern Conference has home advantage throughout the the their half of the playoffs, except that the New York Yankees uh, were in the uh, championship series and they didn't even win. They didn't. They weren't. They were out of the playoffs by this point. But because you've got to make your plans in advance, yeah. Um, they played at City Field. I think a lot of people just could not stop. They just couldn't get past it. I'm one of them. The fact <laughs> that this this looked so bad. Um. Yeah. I mean, the there was a lot of effort given to really complement the pitch before the game from like both sides staff. Um. But as soon as the cameras switch on, you're like, is that foul ball netting? Uh, oh my God. across the TV screen, you just say, "How do, how does that kind of thing get over overlooked?" Like just, oh, it amateur hour. Um, it looked bad. It looked bad from a weird perspective. It's almost like you know they play in a baseball stadium, so like partially my brain was able to like let it go yeah. until you're like that fits until the netting that tracks until the netting, and it's like City Field which is where the New York Mets play, has hosted international soccer games before. So it's not the first time that they've done that. And it's they've also hosted New York City as well. But it's but I, I'm trying to establish that it's, it's not unheard of of it being a soccer venue. Mm-hmm. But I really think it's the, it's, it's the MLS playoffs. You, if you can't find a soccer stadium to host them in, and I were – like 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 a venue that has a rectangular field <laughs> that where you can where you can play them and you don't want to and I'm counting Red Bull Arena because everybody's sort of just sort of tiptoeing around the idea that they would never use it. Tons of tons of uh, rivals in the same city mm-hmm. around the world mm-hmm. play in the same stadium. Yeah, um, by necessity or otherwise, and I think that this field was really if you look at the the distance between. The, if you look at the distance between the penalty areas and the center line, the distance between the penalty areas and sidelines, this was 
really on the borderline for me of being an unsuitable playing surface. And if you can't find one in the city, they should have played it in another town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than doing this. Agreed. I think I think that they should really consider that next time. And it sucks for them because they, they owned it. They, they, they earned a home field advantage that they didn't get. But all that being said, the pitch really didn't matter because <laughs> a team that both you and I said, you know, like this is, they've been quietly and, and at times not so quietly the best in MLS this season, just really pooped the bed in two big ways. Uh, overall played okay. I don't, I don't think you could say terribly well, but the, the first goal comes from just a mistake where the defender is trying to hit uh, a header back to the goalkeeper. Oh my god. And it's just such a boneheaded move, but it is one of those things that's like you're like, I see what you're trying to do, but now is maybe not the time when you have Pozuelo breathing down your neck, who pounces and slides it past Sean Johnson and makes it one nothing. It's just the lack of awareness, right? Like that's the that's the issue is that he, um, it's a the ball's popping back to, and I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to remember who it was. The ball is popping back, and and the defender decides that he's going to head it back, but there's nobody where he's heading it back to. Yeah, and it's one of those things. It's like even a poor clearance forward still takes some of the sting out of it. But <laughs> yeah, it. It's just one of those ones where you go like you you gotta you gotta do better than that. Yeah, it's just it was it was really rough. I'm trying to because there's really not anything on at that point in the attacking phase. Like, um, no, it looks like New York City's going to be able to get that ball out of transition. That being said, they're though, toying they're toying with them. Yeah, um. New York City has their opportunities to get things back into it. I think Castellanos has a, a shot that goes over. And then Tajuri Shradi, who else, comes in, <laughs> where else? The far post, completely unmarked, just screams in. This one's a little bit more forgivable because it's a, an expertly timed run. Um, yeah. And there's just... There is a defender marking the right player, um, and I think it might actually have been Pozuelo's man to pick up, but they're able to level, uh, but it did not stay that way. And then the not-feel-good story of the entire playoffs (laughs) is Matarita just goes in on a challenge from behind in the box that he truly doesn't need to make. And then to to concede a penalty and Pozuelo with perhaps the coldest ice that has ever existed anywhere in his veins <laughs> ships Sean Johnson. He's done the exact same penalty twice before and he does the exact same thing again. Like he could have whiffed that ball at Sean Johnson and it would have looked terrible. And yet somehow he knew to do that. And Toronto goes through. He says in an interview that he decides it. He decide now. This is what he should. He should have said this. I feel he said he decides it before the game. He decides it before the day. He says I am in a group chat with my friends, and I text to my friends in the group chat and say, 
uh, I'm going to do a panenka today. And like, <laughs> like, like, hold that one. Maybe don't say that on national television. Somebody's going to hack his Facebook yeah. <laughs> and find his, find his group chats to find out whether or not he's, he's, he's texted his, his pals to let him know what his penalty selection is going to be. Maybe hold, we don't need to be inside the music that much, I feel. No. However, <laughs> however, uh, like you say, ice in the veins. Yeah. Um, I heard also which... after the game, he actually, um, I, I mean, like, as Matarita. Matarita, I mean, he was inconsolable on the field, and I, I do feel bad for him. Like, it's a not a great move, but we've all done it. It happens. You just you're not thinking, and you're you're just trying to, as a defender, take the chance away. Um, but apparently, he also, as he was driving out of the stadium, stopped his car and got out and was like hugging fans and consoling them. There's some pictures on Twitter, and he's just like, "This sucks." I like, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't feel good about this. You know, like, no. Um, mistakes happen. I think it's not a, it's not a great move, but I'm, I'm, I hope he, he shakes it off and I'm glad the fans are, seem to be, you know, a little kind to him. It was Maxime Cheneau that had the, the header on the first goal. Um, right. In, in 2016, um, TFC, and, and this is, I wouldn't even necessarily call TFC, like, I wouldn't say that they have been one of the best teams in the league through the regular season necessarily Mm-mm. because they kind of really, you know, backed into their their home playoff date that they had. Um and it was the same in 2016. They didn't really they weren't really like a heralded team necessarily. Uh and they faced off in 2016 against New York City and beat them uh 7 nothing on aggregate and I had always wondered, is this going to continue to be the... Is, the, is that the trick? The angst Gegner team? Yeah, they 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 shut down New York City in their in their David Villa prime, and they did it again this year. Yeah. And you've got to think that they're a tough team to play against in, in, in the, the match. We could talk a little bit about the matchup later, mm-hmm. but there was another game that took place on Wednesday evening. There was. Um, this is a, a, another uh, home opportunity for Seattle, who faced RSL, but this time defeated them two nothing. And in the the difference, I think that we discussed was that the everything moved back and forth, but in these two games, you really saw a team like. The teams grapple, and then one team takes control of the game and pretty much holds control through through the remainder of the game. Yeah, and all credit to RSL here. I I think they uh, should always they're a team with a ton of fight <clears throat> and should be proud of what they've been able to accomplish the past few seasons. But it, it did become clear not too long into this game that they were really kind of out of their depth. Um, it's also the last game for Nick Romando, unfortunately. Um, and he really, the nice thing here was, I mean, he made some fantastic saves and kept his team in it. Um, it's not for lack of will on his part that Seattle was able to come away with the victory here. Um, 
the the real thing, the disappointment for me is the Everton Louise red card. Yeah. That just casts such a shadow on an otherwise really, you know, decent performance from RSL in a good season. But Everton's been RSL had RSL had sixty one percent possession. Yeah. He he's been a player that's had some questions asked of him and and has appeared hot headed, but. It takes him an age to, I mean, it's a poor challenge. It's a clear red card. Um, I don't think it's malicious. I think it's a rush of blood to the head, but it's it has to be a red card. And he fights with just about everybody and their dog to get off the pitch. And to see a player getting shoved by a coach, his own coach, to get off the pitch to me, is just a, such a bad look um, I, and such a, b- a bad example that I would not be surprised if that's the end of his time at RSL. I like Everton Louise a lot. Um, he is a player that has really taken a, a been outspoken against racism and, and racism that he's faced in soccer, and, mm-hmm. and I've always really liked him for that and in in since I found that information out and mm-hmm. he's, he's great as a personality, but you, you've got to think if he does remain in the league, and I don't necessarily think that you, you turf him for that. I think that he sure. maybe should miss the first couple of games of the season. Um, both because of the, just because of the tackle itself, just a rough, uh, two footed tackle that crunches Gustav Swenson. Um, and the, I was told somebody replied to me to tell me that I had it wrong. That he he walks. You're you're right. He walks right past the the bench, mm-hmm. like the Seattle bench. But then I think that he refuses to go out of the tunnel, and that's why he has to walk in front of the supporter section. Somebody told me on somebody replied on Twitter that it, the coach, the person that was walking with him, wouldn't let him go into that tunnel, and that's why they had to walk in front of everybody with their flags. That was such a risky situation to me. Like props, mm-hmm. props to everybody involved for not losing their stuff, not losing their 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 nerve or whatever. But that was just you look at players in England that have been taunted, yeah, or have been have been fined for like just you know running in front of the 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 supporter stand and like grabbing their um, badge or whatnot, or just doing something to taunt the the home fans. He's walking and. Flags are whipping around right by his head, and it would have taken one idiot, yeah, to really have made that situation a lot worse. And props to everybody that there were no further idiots in the situation. Good work, However, supporters. Good work. <laughs> that was a really rough way, especially to end it, because because RSL had had they were down to nothing by that point, but um. They had had a decent amount of possession. They had just did. I guess they just conceded before that. So maybe there was just some frustration that came out. Sure, um, but it it also just it it's it's one of those things where it goes. This just reflects poorly on you. Um, yeah, and and that's where like I I feel like the the coach is is gonna rip into him for that and and maybe. Not out of the league, but that's not a player you want on your side. This is a big game. Um, it's Nick Romando's last game to get sent off and then to behave like that as you're going off 
is just not okay. I feel like his bank account's going to be a little lighter. Uh, yep. After that one. Ladero, uh, the, it was Savinsu who scored the first goal, and then Nico Ladero uh, is the one who gets the, puts the nail in the coffin after Rui Diaz ran into a long ball and sends a wasted ball through for the captain. Yep. And then we turn to Atlanta versus... I wanted to also say, I meant to say, as you were mentioning Romando, mm-hmm. he's leaving the league, and Luis Robles is also leaving the league, who had some two absolute... if. In a game that he still lost, even though he lost 4-3, there were two huge saves for Robles and two, you know, great keepers in the game that are, are leaving at the end of the season. Um, Absolutely. I feel like anybody who follows us on Twitter saw a, many egregious posts of me just being wailing that <laughs> because <laughs> the Nick Romando age is done. But, I mean, especially the uh, post-game interview. And you also see, too, that, like, Seattle players, before even celebrating, run up to Nick Romando to shake his hand and give him a hug and and see him off. That is, I expect it. I'm not surprised by that move, but um, that says everything about how people view Nick Romando in this league. And uh, like, I'm gonna miss the guy. He's to me, he is MLS. <laughs> like a 20 year career. And the level that he's played at, the way that he's he's changed how goalkeepers play the game, um, you know, it's just, it's sad, but it's also, it was really great to see that his team lost, there was the unfortunate red card incident for his team, and like, Seattle wins this one, and really kind of feels like towards the end, they're a bit like the pit bull shaking the chihuahua. And yet Seattle players come over right away to congratulate him and make yeah. make sure that there's a, a very solid moment that's going, yeah, we're through in the playoffs and that's exciting, but let's acknowledge like uh, a legend in this game. Absolutely. And in uh, I, I mistook his, I mistook, you know, he lands on his shoulder and then hits the ground in frustration. I'm like, he's got so much will. And you're like, also, he probably like separated his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably having landed, having landed on, uh, your, my rotator cuff in a similar fashion. I'm like, I think that might've been pain, but also willpower. And it's also clearly got, just like such a great human as well. Like he's been a great ambassador off the pitch. Um, and you like, just go on Twitter and see, like, literally every team, every player is just, has nothing but positive things to say about not just his ability to stop their shots, but um, who he is as a person. Um, I also want to say, I don't know where I magic up the idea that Luis Robles is retiring. He's gone. <laughs> I, I knew I wanted to mention him, and I... For some reason, I thought that he was one of the uh, the two goalkeepers that are leaving are Howard and Romando. Robles is not. Uh, Robles, Robles is, how are you is, doing, buddy? Staying with us. <laughs> um, Atlanta, Philadelphia was the 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 next game on our uh, list. Um, Joseph Martinez is the one that uh, that puts a stop to it with the second goal. Um, Philadelphia, despite you know how hard they fought to get into this game um weren't able to 
uh, find a, a way to get into it when they were in Atlanta. Yeah, and and it's unfortunate, but let's be real. It was never going to be Philadelphia's day. Um, and 10 minutes in, it just it looks like Atlanta of yore. <laughs> and Julian Gressel just comes in like a, a freight train and hammers one in. And you think, yeah, this, this is going to be Atlanta's night. Um, Philadelphia played well um, and gave a good account for themselves, but... I don't think the result was ever in any doubt. And then the the final MLS game on our schedule, uh, El Trafico itself. <laughs> yeah, which is always, which is, I mean, like this, the that name is the only part of this that has felt, um, that has felt in any way um, organic. You know, they kept talking about it as a storied rivalry. And then I guess somebody, I don't know who it was that tweeted, this must be one of the biggest MLS games ever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden in the, the prelims on the on ESPN broadcast, which is what was TSN was carrying, um, they used that line over and over and over again. John Champion in the intro and then again during the course of the game said, uh, it's not so often that MLS has one of the most important games on the football calendar, which, as people have noted on Twitter, it was a Thursday. <clears throat> yeah, that, uh, I don't like that guy. <laughs> anyway, um, and what an affair it was. I didn't watch a minute I, of it. <laughs> I was tired, and I was almost a little checked out of this game. Maybe because I watched so much game... So, uh, so much soccer, but but we're like, like the cool it, kids it, who like everybody loves the like hip new band, and we're like whatever. I'm tired of it. <laughs> well, well, I mean, compare it to a game like like Seattle Dallas, and I think that the the issue that you have there is that um this was a game obviously where with a lot that was open and had a lot of attacking play. But it didn't necessarily feel like it had intensity because neither team needed intensity to score because the defending was so bad. Yeah, truly, the only real thing of note here is that LAFC's defending was so bad. But that's true. That's everything that we've talked about in terms of the few mistakes that they've made defensively over the course of a the season, they made tenfold in this game all those same mistakes. And it's just, I think part of it is Bob Bradley pushes his team with a lot of intensity and likes to play a really high line. And galaxy knew that galaxy plays with no discernible game plan or style. So you don't know what you're going to get. And they're able to just kind of slice through LAFC and they're just not in the right places where they, (laughs) they're not where they need to be. It is after the early goings, it's, Carlos Vela on the 16th minute um, establishing, I think that this was key to LAFC's success is, is putting that on. Mm-hmm. The, the only reason why you would give LAFC or LA Galaxy a chance in this is because they won all the other games mm-hmm. that they've played against LAFC. But if you look at them on paper, there's no way that they could, they should be in this game um, or should be competitive in this game on paper. Um, and I think that the scoring early was necessary to 
preventing that feeling of belief, uh, almost in a sense. Latif Blessing uh, dispossesses the ball in midfield, um, gets it up with a couple passes to other players, and it falls to Vela, who is able to change his direction and fire it home. And then the the big bar thing everybody's talking about is that uh, the second Vela goal is a is a two on two, um, and Brian Rodriguez is almost certainly offside. Yeah, people people look at it and and by the the shoulder metric, there's just no way that he's not um, out ahead. And uh, but after you know the Kevin Stott listens to the uh, the bar in his ear and decides he's not going to look at it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and they continue. And maybe if he had had a chance to look at it, there would be a, there would have been a different result with this goal. But I think it's fair to say if he looked at it, it would be a different result with the goal. But also, it really doesn't change the narrative of the game. <laughs> there's a few desperate Galaxy Chris, fans that are trying to hinge on. I'm like, okay, guys, come on. Christian Pavon immediately comes back and scores. Mm-hmm. And this is where I pick. Uh, you go into the, you go into one and I just, or you go into this period. And I just think here comes the nonsense on the, on the other side of the halftime Zlatan scores to bring it back level to two, two. And you think, well, maybe LAFC could do something. And then, uh, LA in two minutes scored two goals, one from Diego Rossi. And then another from Adama Diamande, who is back in a big way. Uh, establishes this two goal lead for LAFC. Um, LA, I, I could tell you, I have not seen the name Rolf Felcher all season. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard of this guy. I've seen it before because it, it sounds like some weird sex act. Um, <laughs> oh no. I've, I've got a Felcher over here. Um, but. Yeah, he, he, he gets one back here and Diamande says, well. <laughs> nope. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. The goal from Rossi as well, like he base, I mean, Rossi's incredible, but he just like walks around the defender. Like the defender's just sort of following, like turning and watching him go past being like, whoa, oh, oh. Not this is good. This has been the joke that we made about LA Galaxy. And we have made it consistently over the course of the year and a little bit into last year. It's not fun you anymore. Have to defend, you have to defend because it doesn't matter how many goals you score if you ship a lot. And the fact that they have exited in whether or not uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, continues at the league or not, this is, this is, I think, entirely appropriate that the most hyperbolic of scenarios that you could con- construct, LA scoring three and conceding five, came to pass and was their undoing this year. Absolutely. It was the most LA Galaxy way to lose this game. And I think that's why I felt fairly certain in calling it LAFC's game still. And as much as people were like, oh, you know, there's this curse and it's like the monkey on their back. I'm like, yeah, but LAFC is actually a good team. LA Galaxy isn't. They've got some great players, um, and we know they can score goals. But defensively, they've scored. They've been. They've had three or more goals scored against them so many times this season. 
some of those games they've won too, but it's just, yeah, it was, it was kind of predictable. It would go this way. Um, some great ball handling from Zlatan at the end of the match, but, uh, LAFC moves on. Let's talk a little bit about the NWSL games. We've got, uh, the NWSL final is coming up this weekend. Um, on Sunday, I believe, mm-hmm. the 27th, in Cary, North Carolina, and the two uh, teams that will take place, that will compete in that, will be North Carolina, who had a very uh, TSC-esque performance <laughs> in it through, uh, through regular time. Um, Rain stayed in it. They, the, the Rain FC did their best to try and, and combat with the, the forces at play. In North Carolina, and they, you know, the fact that you, the fact that it, so much has been put on the North Carolina team, and they're they're playing at home. It's uh, it's good. It's the opportunity for a repeat, uh, or sorry, the final is in their home ground, and it's the opportunity for a repeat. Mm. Um, Casey Murphy coming up so huge to keep Rain nail nail to that point. The fact that it's the the concept of them losing is possible. As of the 60 minutes of the game was, was, was narratively, um, so crazy. But ultimately, despite their pressure, um, Rain conceded first with a penalty in the 88th minute. Um, so they pushed it so, so late. Um, the, the penalty is fair. It is a clear, clear handball. Heather, o- uh, Heather O'Reilly buries it. Um, it is, dis- it is disappointing for Rain after all that time, but then, Onomono scores in injury time, sending them to extra time. So you think, oh, maybe Rain can do this. Maybe, maybe there is an opportunity for them to make it happen. And then North Carolina scores three times in extra time. Um, really trying to make sure that there is nothing to, uh, that there is no chance of a, of a fairy tale comeback. Anything worth doing is worth doing three times. <laughs> um so they will be um they did not crack under the pressure they will indeed um uh, be coming into their home ground in Kerry to play uh, and I I should say that the uh the extra time goals were scored by Davinia uh Lauren Barnes it was an own goal which is unfortunate and and Crystal Dunn is the uh the player who uh who puts a uh a nail in the coffin. Um, they will be, the courage will be going on to face the Chicago Red Stars, mm-hmm. who, um, early on, uh, got a goal against the Portland Thorns. And this is almost, a in the later, the later parts of the season, this is almost sort of the reverse galaxy issue for the Thorns, which is they've got such an amazing goalkeeper in Adriana Franch, mm-hmm. um, playing against one of the best strikers in the world. Does let in a goal. You've got to help. You've got to help your keeper out and score. Yeah. And it wasn't to be. It's sad for me personally because I am a Thor's fan and I want you know I want everything for uh, Christine Sinclair. Um, it. I think that after two years of Portland, North Carolina. Um, it's going to be really interesting to watch Chicago and see what they, they, they could do um, 
to try and break down such a powerful team in the Courage. Uh, this is kind of the moment for Sam Kerr. People Truly, wondered if yeah. she's going to leave leave the uh, league after this, but I think that the Women's World Cup result for Australia was really disappointing for her. And, and as a result, I think that when the the FIFA um, the FIFA Best Awards came out, I think she was massively underrated mm-hmm. for her skills. Um, oh, absolutely! Versus some of the, the players who who some of the players from teams that made it further into the knockouts. Um, and this is going to be an opportunity, I think, for her to announce um, herself or not, because uh, North Carolina have a um, a track record of absolutely smothering uh, fantastic attackers. So <laughs> there's that piece. But it will be interesting to see that game. There's li- if there's be... one player to do it, it's her. Absolutely. The uh, I'm trying to find where the. Uh, if we know which TSN it's going to be on, but that game will be uh, played on the 27th uh, at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. So uh, uh, a nice time for um, a nice time for the East in, in Atlantic, a nice sort of afternoon game on Sunday <laughs> for the West. Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to be on? Let me let me just pull out of here which which TSN we're going to see that on. Since when do we um, announce game times? Well, I want to you know <laughs> you, you want you want people that's true. You want people yes. to watch us because it's going to be a good game. Um, the uh, and it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be you know the courage have um, had a lot of success. Some of the some of it has been uh, away. Certainly last year's. Um, was away, so they'll want to win it for their home fans. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that's all twelve of them. That's it. That's all. <laughs> what do you mean that's it? God, it was, it was like uh, seven years of soccer in one week. TSN two, TSN two is where you'll be able to find that. Um, to find that clash. Um, the. There was a little bit of news. We are we MLS is is named its 29th team. That's right. Sacramento um, FC has joined the club. Um, they are the uh, the USL Sac Republic ownership group is behind this one. Right. Um, it's wild to think of how many more teams are coming from from where, where we're at already. Um, Inter Miami and Nashville are going to be joining us this this coming season. Um, with Austin in 2021 and Sacramento and St. Louis in 2022. And there's one more team has got to be named to get to 30. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be a lot in, of, of change here. We can talk about, there's a, one of the things I want to get to the coaches first, but, uh, Tab Ramos, mm-hmm. the, the U S youth coach has been announced at Houston. Great. Yes. He's, uh, he's going to be great. Yeah, I, uh, I that's think such a lot a, of people are really excited. Yeah, that's such a smart signing for them. I think, like, obviously we had big questions about who would be taking over that role, and it's great to see a domestic coach as well that like really understands the youth system. So, if and I, I feel like it fits well with the profile of what Dynamo has been trying to do there as well, bringing academy players through. Um, the Jason Kreis, the former RSL coach is being mentioned as a, a, a potential candidate to return to his job. This would be, I think, a very interesting move for two sides that have 
um, that have seen things go rocky uh, since they have made their departure. Uh, Christ went to New York City and was hailed as a as a genius and didn't have the best run that you could hope for. Mm-hmm. Um, and RSL had its issues that it had with Mike Pecky this year and 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 didn't manage to make it out of the playoffs. So if you if you think that these two team these two are perhaps better together than apart, um, that could be a positive move if it happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent against it. Um, and I don't know if I'm making too much of this, but I think the fact that Montreal is going to let head coach Wilmer Cabrera go after the number one thing that people kept on talking about after they let go Remy Gard is how unstable things are, how many coaches they've had in their short period of existence. And they're going to add another one because, because Cabrera, as much as some headlines said he was interim, because Cabrera said that his deal was only two months. He was announced as a full head coach, and I think that he counts as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all transitional, the coach said, the, 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 the executive said when he was hired. And, and I understand that that's the tone they were trying to set, but this just seems ludicrous to me. I mean, I don't disagree. My thing is, I think that they've got a coach in mind that they want in that position, and they better. But... Um, yeah, they, they really do need somebody to come in and and put a stamp on it because Montreal's had so many little glimmers of hope um, and, and opportunities. I still feel like there's a style of play for them that's there. So despite the fact that they've lacked consistency in terms of results and coaches, I, I feel like there is a good core group of players there that you can probably keep and continue to develop. But they gotta get the right person in for this job. I'm assuming by letting Cabrera go, given how successful he was in those two months, that they've got somebody in mind. But he's the Canadian Championship. He, he at least has a. He's got a result. Yeah, and it was a smart bit of business for them, right? Because I mean, it's not like he was in much of a negotiating place after he got fired from Houston. So to pay a coach for two months to see your team through things and see what he could do is not a bad idea. Um, and it might've just been the case that this was only ever going to be a summer thing. And by summer, I mean fall. <laughs> summer loving happens so fast. Um, in NWSL, the uh, NWSL also has an expansion team to announce. Louisville is going to come in in, um, mm. in 2021. It will be... Um, Louisville FC or Louisville City FC USL ownership group will be the ones operating that uh, franchise at Lynn Family Stadium, uh, which is set to open in spring 2020. So they're going to have another addition to the league, which will be uh, very interesting. Um, and I think it, I think good for them to to get more uh, more teams on the schedule. The other big thing that people have noted is just the, the controversy of who votes for uh, end-of-the-season awards has come up again. Mm-hmm. They only really have an, – and I agree, I understand this and also I don't. They've named – the MVP is going to be Sam Kerr, um, and they named their best 11. But if you're on Twitter, you've seen a litany of not just fans, but also NWSL players come in and say, 
that's not what it looked like to me. Yeah. And, and I don't know how you can, uh, the, the best 11 is Audrey Bledsoe, Abby Dahlkamp, Rally Krieger, Becky Sauerbrunn, Casey Short, Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Tobin Heath, Sam Kerr, and Kristen Press. And I don't know how the voting here ends up so different because it's fans 20%, owners, gyms, coaches 20%, media 20%, players 40%. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the difference is between that and the preliminary round for MVP, which is owners, GMs, 25%, media, 25%, players, 50%. And your percentages of first place votes for MVP is Sam Kerr, North Carolina's midfielder, Dabinia, Kristen Hamilton, also from The Courage, Yuki Nagasato, also from Chicago, um, and Lynn Williams from The Courage are your five MVP candidates. And other than Kerr, the other four aren't in the best 11, but they're also potentially the most valuable players in the league. I think that, I don't know how you, even just 20% of the vote, I don't know how 20% of the vote re- results in such a dramatically different yeah. look to, to who you think your best players are. Um, I feel like maybe and, that and certain, process needs to be reworked a little bit. Maybe you get your per- you the preliminary round, no fans. Final round, once they pick the top five players to vote on, then fans can vote. Mm. the The other thing, the only thing, the only issue is, is that the I know the best eleven does have like a financial aspect. You know, like mm. like players will have best eleven bonuses in their contract. But if you think about it, fans do get to vote on all star all star. Teams. Mm-hmm. And there is no all-star game, I don't think, in, in NWSL. So it's like, so maybe if you think of it as an all-star game, it's it's trying to have fans vote. I and maybe so. if you need, if you need to, if you need to recognize, say, a goalkeeper such as Adriana French, who is not one of the best best eleven goalkeepers, or the or in the second eleven, um, maybe you give out more awards and don't uh, rely on the fans. <laughs> Or don't yeah. Lie. yeah, that's fair. But, uh, um, but it's it was a lot of uh, a lot of raised eyebrows. I had this uh, I had this thing up that I wanted to talk about, but it's been late in the day. The MLS ratings have come out; they're bad. Spoiler alert: it's bad. Yeah, nobody's watching. Uh, down, down nineteen percent. And I would love to have a conversation with you about why MLS has such a a strong atmosphere and why soccer has like such a great in-person feeling and somehow um, doesn't always translate on TV. I would love to have this conversation with you, but maybe we should leave this to another week. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like this is good uh, post season fodder um, and lots of people are weighing in on it. I think the too long didn't read version is you got to have major TV deals. Like, You've got to be able to watch in order to attract a lot of viewers. It's not like uh, this is being broadcast everywhere and people are just not watching it. It's difficult to find. So The the, uh, biggest game ever. Biggest game ever. Everybody talks about it. Biggest game ever. In the United States, the opening part of the El Trafico was moved to ESPN News because the college uh, football game was going on. There you go. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not an American. I don't know ESPN. I don't know if the, the process is, is, you know, easy to switch back and forth, but that seems pretty rough. 
Um, I can tell you, nobody cares. <laughs> they they want that, <laughs> that college football rules over everything. Uh, In TV land, well, anyway. Until next week, there's only four. There's only there's only four teams left in the league. We're so we've, close. We've 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 moved it down to the final four. There's there's four teams. Oh, we didn't. There's there's so much to talk about. And we'll the uh, the first leg of the KPL championship is this weekend as well. Yep. Too much soccer, man. There's just on too much Saturday. soccer. On Saturday, they have their their big glass trophy has come out. Do you like it? Uh, I mean, I like it as a paperweight. <laughs> it's, it's a fine paperweight. It's just. It's a little, uh, it's a little underwhelming. Let's put it that way. Um, we'll, we will be back next week, uh, to talk the first leg of the Camp PL, the, uh, semi, the, the conference final, uh, finale in MLS and the NWSL final. But until then, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at that's so MLS. And you can find this podcast as aforementioned in Apple Podcasts and wherever you get podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Also at that's so MLS.com. Where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at teambates, www.team-bates.com. I'm an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com. Um, and don't get sent off and have a huge drop and almost get beamed by a flag. <laughs> it's pretty simple, folks. <laughs>